Welcome to another episode of Compressed FM, a podcast all about web development and design. In this episode, we're going to talk all about the process for launching our advent of CSS and advent of JavaScript courses. So let's get into it. Hello, my name is Amy Dutton. I'm a UI UX designer and front-end developer. What's up, everyone? My name is James C. Quick, and I am a staff developer advocate at PlanetScale. Web development and design, who would have guessed? Well, we can do them both, even add a little zest. So turn up the volume, get ready for the best. Let's get it started in this episode of Compress. Today, we're joined by three fabulous sponsors. Vercel will meet all of your hosting needs. Zeal is a software consultancy, and they are hiring. And Dato CMS is a performant headless CMS. More from each of these later in the show. So, James, what have you been up to? Well, I went running this morning. My wife was worried about the cold because she still got a cough. And I did an eight-mile run by myself, which I was pretty proud of. So the last time I ran eight miles was when I had COVID. And I (laughs) felt like death when I got finished. And I felt a lot better this time. So I was really proud of myself for getting out there and going for a run. And we're looking at getting vinyl floors put on top of our hardwood, which a lot of people like, no, don't cover up hardwood. But they're Mm -hmm. like really stained and really don't look good. And I just hate them. So we want to get those updated. And then... I've been on like a mission to buy as many tools for woodworking as possible. <laughs> it's every day I go to Jess and I'm like, can I buy this other thing that I could use for this thing that I want to build one day? <laughs> what does she say? Yes or no? She's been supportive in our relationship. I've always been the one to try to rein us in like, oh, we don't really need that. So and so. That's me. Yeah. But to be quite honest, like we've just we're doing responsible things in terms of 401k and IRAs and we've just got extra money and I'm like I'm enjoying this woodworking process and these tools would help make it easier and easier anyway so yeah she's never really pushed back on that sort of stuff I'm getting a lot more open to just kind of using what we have to enjoy what we're doing so awesome yeah I'm the saver in our relationship Henry's the spender (laughs) (laughs) it's kind of funny how that dynamic seems to be pretty common I think there's usually one of you on either side yep And that's a good balance, though, right? Because you can kind of compromise Mm -hmm. and use each other's perspectives to make decisions together. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. What have you been up to outside of saving money? Oh, saving money. So I just got back from Southern Oregon. So I went to Zeal's headquarters, (laughs) which makes it sound so fancy. They're based out of Grants Pass, Oregon. So I flew out there and I just, I don't know about you, but anytime I'm on the West Coast, I just feel like I'm in the twilight zone. (laughs) Just time difference. Yeah, I know it's only two hours, but my body clock doesn't line up with the sun. Mm -hmm. So like (laughs) here, I don't get up at 530. My alarm will go off at 530. I have every intention of getting up at 530, but I usually don't. So over there, routinely, I would wake up at 330. Let's go. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Let's start the day. I'm ready. And it's like 330 in the morning. And then that night, I would try and stay up with the best of them and, you know, either hanging out or working on projects. Like I go back to the room and try and get stuff done. So if I stayed up till 12 and then 330, yep. it so never weird. fails. Yeah. yeah. Or my stomach. I'm not hungry when we're supposed to have meal times. It's mm. just it, anyways, just very strange. So th- I think that was the nicest thing about landing yesterday was I was like, ah, it feels like two. <laughs> it looks like two. And it is two. So, yeah, it's good to get back to. The normal routine, Mm -hmm. I guess. But yeah, I've always been that way when I go to the West Coast, waking up at four Mm -hmm. or five and then going the other way, like going to Europe, I would have such a hard time going to sleep because it would be nine Mm -hmm. o'clock and I would turn off everything. I'm like, I'm going to try to transition my time and I'd be like sitting there until one or two in the morning Mm -hmm. until I would finally get tired. That's one of the things that I think people forget about with traveling. Mm -hmm. It's just the it's not super glamorous all the time. Like there are some difficulties that come along with it. Mm-hmm. Shoot, I couldn't even imagine like touring where you're in a new place. You wake up mm-hmm. every morning, you're in a new place. I mean, yeah, exactly. Bizarro. And that's what our new plans are for the podcast is we're going on a world tour. A tour? No, we're not. We we're are. Not that. We could one day. <laughs> this is news to me. <laughs> this is, yeah, this so is news fun. to everyone. It would be. <laughs> um, which we've talked about. We haven't really pushed for this recently, but talked about doing a talk at a conference and kind of doing like mm-hmm. a syntax live episode type thing. Yeah. We haven't talked about that in a while. Maybe we should revisit that idea. Yeah, I do like the idea of a roadshow. That would be fun. Mm-hmm. Yep, <laughs> exactly. Well, do you want to get into it? We'll talk about two of the world's... <laughs> I was going to say, what happens if I say no? <laughs> then I just do the podcast by myself, which is totally fine. Yeah, no. I've actually been thinking about if one of us would have to do it 
solo just because of travel or something at some point, which we're not there. So nobody worry. But yeah, two of the world's most amazing courses, Advent of CSS and Advent of JS.com. You can check them out. And you can still buy. You can still buy. You can still participate. You can participate at any time and it will make sense. But I guess maybe one of the things you can give us a little bit of context on is what are those courses and where did the idea come from? Like, what was the inspiration? And I had a similar idea that we just kind of merged on, but I'll let you start with what you thought of for working on those courses or coming up with those ideas. So with Advent, the year before I had friends that participated in, I think Advent of Elixir. But I was just jealous that they had something and I didn't. And I was like, well, I'll just (laughs) create it then. So Amy's, so what you're saying is your content (laughs) creation inspiration just comes from sheer jealousy at all points. We're learning so much about each other in these podcast episodes. (laughs) Yes, I wanted an advent of front end. So something that I could do. And so that's, that was my inspiration for that. Sweet and simple. Well, actually, you know what? Somebody did comment online. They said, finally, I have an advent that I can participate in. Oh, did they really? I didn't catch that one. I did not comment, but I should have said, I saw you. That's me. Mm -hmm. Nice. So you mentioned kind of subtly advent of front end. And I think that was kind of your broader thought process. So how did we get from advent of front end to advent of CSS and JS? And I think part of the answer is it's kind of just the natural place to start. There's lots of categories for front end. HTML, CSS, and JavaScript is usually kind of where that stuff starts, I guess. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just started mapping out and thinking through all the different challenges that we could do. And there's tons of them and just realized, hey, we Mm -hmm. could break these up into subcategories. And so that's how we ended up with Advent of CSS and Advent of JavaScript. And what's kind of interesting is if you participated in both of them, you'll know that the Advent of CSS piece actually set up the Advent of JavaScript piece. So day one, you're doing all the styling for the day one challenge of JavaScript. And that was actually kind of by accident. (laughs) Mm-hmm. because or almost out of necessity necessity that's yeah. probably a better way of putting it i had two different sets of challenges mapped out and i was helping provide all the front end code all the styling in the css for advent of javascript and then i was going to have to turn around and create another challenge for advent of css and so out of necessity I was like why are we not linking these together i'm doing this work anyways i'll just show other people how to do it so some of the challenges ended up maybe being a little bit harder than i probably would have intended if we had just done like an advent of CSS, but it was nice from a cross promotional standpoint where at the end of say one of my challenges, I could say, if you want to go do the JavaScript component, go check out advent of JavaScript. Or James could say, Hey, if you want to learn how to style this and get to this point, go check out advent of CSS. So I think it still ended up working out really well, but that was actually not the original intent. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's probably both of our biggest opportunities just in general is being able to leverage one space to promote or send people to another. And from a marketing perspective, there's so many ways that we potentially engage with people, Twitter and email and YouTube videos and courses and podcasts and everything. And the more you have that sort of stuff connected, the better off you are. So I think we made a very good decision of minimizing to an extent our effort in creating these courses and also had this benefit of the people that are participating just now feel more connected and it's more progressive. And I think in that sense, it worked out really well. And this was our initial conversation of doing paid course content together. And I had mentioned that I had the jschallenges.com domain, which is still there. And I think it's still just the regular index HTML page with no styling, I think is what I did. And uh, it's still up. Everybody should go check it out. Check it out at (laughs) jschallenges.com. But my idea was basically something similar. It wasn't branded at Advent at all. It was just JS challenges. And I wanted to use those, I think, to kind of build up people's skills for interviews. So practicing basic data structures and algorithms and just solving challenges in JavaScript. And we realized there's lots of potential overlap there. I definitely wanted to tap into all the things we've talked about this a million times that you bring to the table in terms of like the styling and the landing pages and those being such a big part of having an attractive course. Anyway, I think we made a good decision together. I think this is kind of the beginning of a lot of things, including everything's felt. And then we've got ideas for doing Advent of Summer or whatever mm-hmm. it is, whatever we brand it as. But lots more to come there. But really quickly, we'll break these down into the specific technologies and categories of what all goes into this. But what's the technology overview? Like, what are the different technologies that we used to create and ship the two courses? So we ran all the emails through ConvertKit and then the course itself is hosted on Podia. And then we had some integration set up through Zapier and all the e-commerce actually ran through Gumroad. Mm, I actually had forgotten about that Mm -hmm. up until this point. 
there are lots of different moving pieces to this, which is why I think it makes for, from our perspective, an interesting podcast episode to talk about. One that I'll add here is the Discord server. So we ended up creating channels inside of the Learn, Build, Teach Discord for people to be able to ask questions and share what they're working on and give some support that way. Mm-hmm. And then the other part of this, I mentioned you're creating the landing pages and they're always top notch. But from the website perspective, what did you use to actually build out the website for both landing pages, advent of CSS and advent of JS.com? So both sites are built on SvelteKit and then both sites are hosted on Vercel. And let's take a minute and talk about Vercel. Vercel will meet all of your hosting needs. We're actually hosting the compressed.fm site and my personal site, selfteach.me on Vercel. They also power more well-known sites like Twilio, but you can use them for e-commerce, travel, news, and marketing sites. You name it, they can host it. When I got ready to launch the compressed site, it was super easy. I pointed it to the GitHub repository and told it what folder my next.js project was in, and then it just worked. Ridiculous, right? But they also power over 30 plus Jamstack frameworks, including Create React App, Next, Nuxt, Vue, Ember, Svelte, Angular, Hugo, and Gatsby, just to name a few. But one of my favorite features is when you set up your account, you get your own dashboard. And here you can invite other team members to collaborate or view analytics. So as soon as I push the code to my GitHub repository, it deploys that code and I can watch the build and its entire process through their custom dashboard. So be sure to check out Vercel. I'll include a link in the show notes, but special thanks to Vercel for being a Compressed.fm sponsor. How are you feeling about SvelteKit, by the way? I love it. Yeah, I got into it when I did the crash course like several months ago. I didn't touch it for a while and I've started to use it more and more. And I am continuing to fall in love with it and just absolutely Mm -hmm. enjoying it. Yeah, this was just the landing page. There's not any logic in it. And Mm -hmm. technically I could have written in HTML and CSS. But one of the nice things in terms of the landing page itself is that it has SAS built into it. Mm -hmm. You can just say on that style tag, lang for language, lang equals SCSS. And then you can write SCSS in it, Mm. which is so nice. And it's kind of a different flavor when you start building landing pages in terms of components instead of just one giant page, but it still felt really good. And the nice thing about it is if you looked at advent of CSS and advent of JavaScript, the two pages are basically the exact same structure. The only difference is the color palette and the header graphic at the top. So that made it super easy when I got ready to go over to the JavaScript side. I'd already built out the advent of CSS page. I just copied everything over and then I changed the colors and it all worked. It just made it Mm -hmm. so easy to do both of them. That's really cool. And I know you have a lot of experience with creating design systems specifically from a design system, but then implementing them into an application that you build. For example, just Mm -hmm. having like CSS variables for all the different colors and stuff. And once you have that set up and you can swap them out for the updated colors, um, then you've Mm -hmm. got a pretty good system to work on. I'm going to throw out one. I don't know if it's probably controversial. It's probably debatable a little bit. And I haven't thought this all the way through. So I'm not 100% into it. But one thought you mentioned you could have used vanilla JavaScript and HTML. My thought is I do lots of vanilla JavaScript tutorials and I think it's good for practice. There's never a time where I would actually build a site with vanilla JavaScript over a framework. That's my thought for now. This is not a bigger discussion, I don't think. I'm going to think through it some more. Maybe people can let me know on Twitter. You can tag one of us and or the compressed FM handle. Is there a scenario that makes sense for you to actually use vanilla JavaScript HTML over a framework? Because regardless of whether or not you use the framework features, if you then needed to use the features, now you've got to go through a lot more work than you did it unless you had just started with it from scratch. I'm kind of curious. Let me know, people, as you're listening, what you think. I would put maybe components of a site in vanilla JavaScript. And I think that that might make more sense more on a marketing standpoint versus like a product standpoint. Mm-hmm. So, for example, I'm thinking of a client in particular where within the last year, I paired with a developer and we wrote a custom carousel for the site. It was pretty cool, but I'm embarrassed to admit it was done in jQuery because the site already had jQuery on it. So it it made sense. But all those things that we did, it could have just as been easily done in vanilla JavaScript. The only reason we used jQuery was there was already jQuery on the site Mm -hmm. for something else. But we were not ready to add React or Mm -hmm. Vue or another framework to it. So we just have that one component running in jQuery. But to me, that would make sense. We could have done it in vanilla and Mm -hmm. 
possibly cut back on at least one extra package. Yep. I think that's fair. I definitely thinking about the perspective of starting from scratch with something. Mm. So if you got extra, got stuff that's already in place, I think that adds some extra work. Yeah. I wouldn't build an app in vanilla. That would be painful. But if you listener would let us know (laughs) and why. Okay. So going back to technologies, we're just going to kind of break these down to the different pieces. So we'll start with email and you mentioned ConvertKit was what we were using for emails. We actually had some struggles and learnings with mm-hmm. that. But I would say ConvertKit is one of the more expensive. But for people who take their email newsletter seriously, it almost always to me seems like the default. It seems like the go-to service for sending emails. That's been my experience with other content creators that run newsletters. And I think you use it for your personal emails as well. I do. But you know, what's interesting is so when we did Advent, we bumped up our email list size considerably. Mm -hmm. And so I just thought, oh, great. Now my email list is huge for something that I'm doing once a year. And I don't necessarily want to bother these people every single month. If we only email them one month out of the year, is it worth paying all this money? Mm -hmm. And so I went and did a price comparison with all of them. And it's actually pretty much on par with anything else. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah. Even MailChimp. I just thought, oh, I'll move them over to MailChimp. MailChimp Mm -hmm. will be so much easier. But it really depends on what your MailChimp plan is. You could do the bare bones plan where you really can't do anything but send emails. And then it might be just a little bit cheaper. But even the plan that we have for the compressed FM list is right in the same price point as ConvertKit. Okay. We're still paying about the same amount per subscriber, which is kind of interesting. But the thing that we ran into with ConvertKit is ConvertKit does a really good job if you have sequences where you say, okay, James, you signed up on December 1st, so I'm going to send you December 1st, and then tomorrow I'll send you day two and day three. So you're in tracking in line. But we had some people that signed up a week later. So they signed up, say, on December 7th. There was a question of which emails do we send you? Because if I want you to go ahead and feel like you're still part of this thing, and so you're getting day seven now, it's then date-based. It's not based on the date that you mm-hmm. joined Advent. So... ConvertKit is actually one of the few email service providers where I felt like I can talk about some of the nuances there, but I felt like I could do it based on the date instead of based on when they joined. Mm -hmm. And that actually ended up introducing some problems. So the way you set that up is through their visual automations. And so what ended up happening though, is if you signed up on day seven, you actually got six or seven emails right in a row of all the ones that you missed. Whereas ideally, maybe we should have sent one email that said, hey, here's day one through six. If you want that, you can go ahead and check those out. But we have you in day seven. Maybe even more ideally, if we had asked the user, do you want to jump in at day seven or do you want to jump in at day one? But anyways, it ended up creating a problem because what ConvertKit does is they cache that automated sequence. So you can't just add emails on the fly as you go. And so what would happen for us is we would load an email in and it wouldn't send out. (laughs) Like, what's going on? (laughs) Like, we added it and I would reach out to support and they'd say, oh, it's cached. We've got to flush your cache. So I did that for a couple of days in a row and I was like, this is crazy. We need to figure something else out and it doesn't work like that. So some of it was bumping into situations like that. As soon as I changed it to sending out a broadcast where I would manually go in and set the date for everything, the emails started sending out fine. But it was just kind of learning how ConvertKit has their stuff set up and what some of the limitations are around that. The other limitation that I hit with ConvertKit is with their pricing structure. So we grew exponentially within December. And the way that they have their pricing model set up is it will automatically bump you up to the next tier as you hit it, which, I mean, thank you, I guess, for (laughs) taking that for me. But I was originally on an annual plan because I'd signed up during Black Friday for a special thing that they had. But with the sudden bump up, not only was I not getting the deal that I got on Black Friday, but I was getting bumped up like quite a bit for these larger plans where I would honestly rather just pay monthly at that point. Do you remember how much that was, by the way, just for reference? Oh, for reference. Oh, I think I paid like maybe 190 on a Black Friday. And that was mm-hmm. for a thousand people. I think it was okay. one ninety. I think by default their plan might be three hundred dollars, but it was like at a sixty percent or something mm-hmm. discount. And so then as we bumped up, like the plan that we're on now is like seven hundred dollars a year or something yeah. like that. And I was like, I don't want to pay it's a significant hit to just yeah. Yeah. To all of a sudden jump up from like three hundred dollars to seven hundred dollars and having to pay that all mm-hmm. at once. 
So anyways, all that's to say is it kept hitting my account. And I was like, no, I asked you to switch me to monthly. <laughs> but if their program, because it's automated, wouldn't do that until the end of the month, I was like stuck in this weird no man's zone. Mm-hmm. And I just don't think that they necessarily know how to handle people that grow that quickly. It just created some issues. Mm-hmm. So they were great as soon as I reached out to somebody and I sent them a few long emails just to say, hey, I love you guys. I love what you're about. I love your program, but it hurts my heart that <laughs> a system that I love so much, I'm having so much trouble with. And at that point, the person that I was talking to just did a fantastic job of listening. And it's funny from a customer support standpoint that that's really what I wanted more than anything else. It felt like when I reached out on, they use intercom. When I reached out on intercom, I wasn't getting that support that I wanted from their people. It was like, they're just trying to answer questions as soon as possible. Mm -hmm. But once I emailed somebody, I was like, I really, I just want you to hear me and hear what I'm asking. I'm not your average customer right now. And I need a little bit of handholding. So yeah, I am always really impressed when I can get in touch with someone quickly and then get my problem solved like it makes me Mm -hmm. such a more loyal customer to have good support so this is one of the things i think that people need to consider that again i think for anyone who's never created course content or newsletter these are just things you probably don't think about it so as we scaled with subscribers which is a great problem to have right but this is also that balance of as you scale with subscribers you have to pay more to support those which means you have to make money for your time and effort to be worth it right like you have to make more and we did but you have to make more than what that yearly costs would be in a year to justify actually paying for it and shipping that thing. So it's something that we definitely had. I think email was probably our biggest struggle. Mm-hmm. I think we had a few, but email was definitely our biggest struggle. And we can talk about this at the end. I don't know if we've completely settled on how we would do this in the future, but there's definitely an opportunity for us to figure out what's going to work better for us next time to make sure it's one as simple as possible. It's as cheap as possible. Like that's not the number one concern, but if you could save money somewhere, you might as well. And then just making sure it's consistent. Cause I think by missing a few of those emails and having comments from people saying, Hey, I didn't get the email today. They didn't want us to be in that position of saying like, Oh, I'm so sorry. We're working mm-hmm. on something. So I think it's a big opportunity for us to just have uh, ready next time. Yeah, for sure. Well, and some of the learnings that I pulled from that is so beforehand, I tried to set up all these fancy visual automated sequences, as I mentioned, within ConvertKit system. And so it made it harder a little bit to pivot from that. And so I think, especially in the beginning, Mm -hmm. it's just important to keep it simple. I know that that kind of gets overused a lot of times, but if you keep it simple, that would have been a whole lot easier to troubleshoot. There were a few conversations James and I had where James, you're like, I don't know how the system's set up to be able to help you to troubleshoot. And it's Mm -hmm. because I had tried to over-engineer that piece of it. And as soon as we pivoted, and if I just sent, say, a broadcast every day, then those emails were going out like they should have. And honestly, there's no reason why I shouldn't have just done that to begin with. The other piece that I wrote down is small is good. And I think a lot of times people don't see the value in that. They look at, say, James's audience and they say, man, that's so cool that he has 100,000 subscribers on YouTube. I wish that was me. But if we're honest, I have 3.7, I think, right now. But I'm able to do a lot of things on my channel and take a lot more risks than James might be comfortable with because he has 100,000 subscribers that have expectations set up around that. So we still ended up having, I think it's 5,000 people-ish go through Advent, which is not a number to sneeze at. I'm very proud of that. But it was smaller than, say, if we had 100,000 subscribers go through it. And so we're able to learn things now this first year that we'll be able to take into the next year. And so I just want people to embrace the small is good, especially in the beginning, because it gives you that freedom and that flexibility. Yeah. And I think the thing probably to emphasize for both of us, like we spent tons of time Every time we get ready to record a podcast, we talk for an hour and we have, I think it's a good thing, right? Like I think our dynamic and the things we're interested in talking about is great. But what that has led to is we definitely had some struggles with that, but we're a hundred percent optimistic for everything that we create going forward. And we just think we're going to be able to use these learnings as everyone should in every aspect of your life to continue to create honestly kick-ass content. So we're both really excited for everything that we do the rest of the year, had some learnings, but with a smaller and I said smaller that's such a big number for a first thing that's brand new so anyway you mentioned the simplicity of it all so not in a bad way but part of why it wasn't as simple as these different services that were involved so next one up is Podia and I use Podia I have a personal subscription that I do I think it's 70 bucks 70 or 80 bucks a month that I pay if you do month to month yeah so that's Mm -hmm. what 
actually i may have done mine yearly but this is something to consider because i've got two pieces of paid content on podia my youtube for developers ebook and then my react and serverless course and i think total is about six grand so obviously that's going to cover my year subscription for several years but it's not a huge margin, so I have to make sure at some point soonish that it still makes sense to use it. The other thing that I used it for, we'll talk a little bit about this, is emails as well. So with that plan, you get an unlimited number of subscribers and emails that you can send out. So it's something to consider for people if you're interested when you look at also then paying for something like ConvertKit. And now it's time to take a second to talk about one of our sponsors, which is Dato CMS. Dato CMS is a complete and performant headless CMS built to offer the best developer experience and user friendliness in the market. One of the things I think is really interesting and neat on their website is if you hover on their wide Dato CMS tab in the nav bar, you see sections for developers, digital markers, and content creators. So it's got the entire audience covered. They also provide a rich CDN powered GraphQL API with real time updates, which is really neat. So all of you who love working with GraphQL and are looking for something that has real time updates, this is really, really cool. They also provide a super flexible way to handle dynamic layouts and structured content and then have best in-class image and video support with progressive image loading out of the box. So if you're looking for a headless CMS that can help represent every member of your team, make sure to check out Dato CMS. But do you want to talk a little bit about how we use Podia to host the actual content and what content we actually put on Podia individually? Yeah, so we started off where we only had the paid course running through Podia. But because of all the issues that we had with email, that was really the only way that people that signed up for the free challenges were able to get their content. So we actually ended up duplicating the course. So we had a free version and a paid version on Podia. So in total, there were four courses free paid JavaScript and free paid CSS. So for each course, you are getting starter files. So if you signed up for the CSS version, you got a Figma file and the challenge information about what needed to happen. With the JavaScript piece, you got the starting HTML and CSS. And then if you paid for the challenge, on the CSS side, you got the final solution and a video that included that final solution. And then on the JavaScript side, you got the final code and a video of the solution as well. So it ended up being, I don't know, Maybe that doesn't seem like a ton, but I think it ended up being several individual pieces that we had to work through and update what became every day. And this is one of the things we haven't quite addressed yet, which is we didn't have as much lead time as we wanted. So we wanted to get this December 1st and run that through the 24 days. And ideally, we would have had all the content uploaded and ready and just had emails automated to go out those days. But we were having to upload that content throughout that time as well. So I think that was one of the learning for us or just like, I don't know, something, again, optimistic about for next time is we'll just be more prepared with lead time on that and having all that content ready to go. But there was lots of individual pieces for four different courses that we would have to update for each different day of the challenge, regardless of when it actually got updated. Mm -hmm. You know, though, even if we had had all the content uploaded, we still would have had the same issue that we had with ConvertKit in mm -hmm it won't let you drop a lesson on a specific day. It's still based on the day that you joined. So that was the one thing about us posting it every day is we didn't hit up against that. But it is kind of interesting to me that a lot of these places are not based on actual dates. Yeah, and I remember both of our reaction to that, I think was somewhat like, how could they not support mm -hmm. this? Like, it seems like such a natural thing. But I will say probably the majority of the challenge set things that I sign up for does come out once a day after signing up. And like now that Advent of JSS and CS is posted and it's not like a December 1st through 21st thing, that still makes sense. Mm -hmm. Sending them the email progressively each day after they sign up makes sense now. But it was an interesting challenge that we had to consider for that being the specific time frame that we were starting out with. Mm -hmm. You put uh, track money under Podia. Mm -hmm. So with Podia, if you sell a course through Podia, you can track all of your earnings that way. And surprisingly, some people were still able to purchase the course through Podia. So we did have a little bit of income coming that way. But as I mentioned, for the most part, the main place where we sent people was through Gumroad. And the reason we did that was because I wanted to have this stylized landing page. I didn't want to use Podia's landing pages. I wanted to have complete control over that. And Podia does have an embed code. So ideally, you could hit the button to buy now and it would have a pop-up and you could buy the course that way. But there was some kind of conflict between Podia's JavaScript and SvelteKit that wouldn't let me launch that pop-up. It still wanted to send you through Podia's store. And so that created several clicks for the user. So what I ended up doing, I already had a Gumroad account, 
was Gumroad has a similar feature where you just upload their JavaScript onto your page and it will launch their modal. And so all the transaction pieces run through that modal piece, but it looks like you're on your actual site. So I did that through Gumroad and used all of their analytics, which was really nice. I really do enjoy that Gumroad piece of it. Percentage-wise, you may end up paying a little bit more based on their conversion rates. I think Stripe is 2.9%. I think that might be what Podia uses. But I listened to a podcast with Adam Wathan where he talked about the differences between Stripe and Gumroad because he tried using both. And he said it actually ends up being about the same and that Gumroad is a little bit easier on the transactional side. So by that, I mean, if we had everybody running through Stripe, because like I said, I think that's what Podia uses, then it looks like individual transactions that people are making. So on my accounting, I would have to enter in all these different customers. Whereas Gumroad, it almost looks like you license your course to Gumroad and they're doing a single payout once a week. So then I'm only tracking in one payout versus 200. Mm. It's funny how many details that we can talk through now. that we talked a little bit before. I just now kind of put together what you were saying because through Podia, I get emails and PayPal transfers for individual purchases, mm-hmm. but on Udemy, I get monthly payout. So there's mm-hmm. the difference there that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. And I mentioned this earlier, you mentioned me not fully understanding how everything was put together. I think that was one of our struggles too, because I wanted to be able to help more mm-hmm. but without having understood pretty fairly intricate pieces to make sure that all this stuff works together, especially when it comes down to people's money and paying for products. That definitely was something I wanted to contribute more. But I guess the next step of this thinking about integrations is there had to be some sort of relationship between Gumroad and Podia. There had to be some sort of relationship between ConvertKit and Podia. What you ended up setting up is Zapier for automations, which is really cool. I will say it can get a little expensive, but do you want to talk through mm-hmm. how those different pieces were connected through Zapier? Yeah. So if you signed up for the free course, it would run through Quez Forms. So Quez has been a sponsor of the podcast before, and it would take that registration and then it would send it over to ConvertKit and you would get added. And then obviously when we changed our model and started to start running things through Podia, the cool thing was I just had to change what that Zap looked like in Zapier so that it would also add somebody to Podia. It was actually pretty easy because it was a Zap doing that. It wasn't necessarily code, but it made that pretty seamless. I've forgotten, again, me not knowing the entry <laughs> details. I forgot about Quest Forms as part of this. We could have thrown that in the description of the website, but we both have loved Quest Forms. Miguel is a friend of mine, one of the founders. So yeah, it's one of the easiest things to set up. And then especially when you can tie it into Zapier, to connect to, I mean, almost anything else. Like I'm sure there's mm-hmm. some things that people can find that aren't supported, but you can find almost anything in Zapier that you can connect to. Yeah, I actually forgot that it had Quez on it just because Quez has <laughs> become such a piece of, well, any mm-hmm. serverless code that I've written recently, I immediately reached for Quez. Well, that may be one of the best advertisements we could give for Quez is like, we're so used to it and it's so a part of what we would expect to use that we don't even think about it, right? Like it's kind of inherently what we would do. So mm-hmm. shout out to Quez. Mm-hmm. Plus they're HIPAA compliant, which I know that sounds dumb, but I've started looking at some other things for another app idea. And that's a piece of it is trying to see if it's HIPAA compliant. Mm-hmm. So but anyways, yeah. another conversation for another day. So on the paid side, If somebody paid, it would actually go through Gumroad and then that would trigger a zap to add somebody to Podia. And I believe it would also add the appropriate tags within ConvertKit. But you can also say with Podia, if somebody signs up for this course, add them to this particular tag in ConvertKit. And in terms of cost, it did consistently go up because I was constantly having to check my levels. But the thing that I do like about Zapier is you can easily scale that up or scale that down. It's not like say Podia or ConvertKit, where now we're tied into a higher tier for an entire year. We just were able to do that for December and then come back down. And the other nice thing about Zapier was with how we set things up when we did move all the free content into Podia, I used Zapier to go ahead and grab anybody that signed up for free and automatically add them through Podia. So Podia has the ability to do bulk updates, but that is completely reliant on their system. Like you have to submit a request and they would make that change on their end. So it was actually easier for me to run all that through Zapier and it could be immediate. 
I feel like most of this has not been a code conversation, but this is such a real world example of what real world projects look like. You end mm-hmm. up having to do some sort of migration to use another product. And then you probably end up writing code to migrate data from one data store to another or one service to another or whatever it is. So it's actually, I think just like really realistic into mm-hmm. what software as a whole looks like. Cause you, we've seen the agile approach where we had to make changes. We had to make decisions. We didn't necessarily use code. We use different products to help do a lot of these automations and transformations or migrations or whatever, but just very similar. And if people are interested in how else it looks, what else it looks like to work in a dev team, our last episode was all about that. Mm -hmm. That's a great point because other than the site itself, everything is no code. Mm -hmm. Let me take a brief moment and talk about the company that I work for, Zeal. They actually sponsor our podcast. They design custom applications and develop primarily in Rails and React. They're a remote-first company even before the pandemic. They're based out of Southern Oregon, but I live outside of Nashville, and we have team members across the entire country. But Zeal holds a special place in my heart because, as I mentioned, I work there, but I can honestly say it's the best place that I've ever worked. And good news for you, they are hiring, so you could work with me. In particular, we are hiring a senior UI UX designer and front-end developer. I'm pretty stoked about this position because you'll be on my team. We have some really fun initiatives planned for 2022, so you get to be a part of that. In general, our whole setup is pretty unique. So you can find more information on the website, codingzeal.com. And of course, I'll include a link in the description below. So the next section I want to talk about just a little bit was the marketing and promotion. And I think I've always said, for me, my two biggest weaknesses are in terms of content creation is design and then marketing. Mm -hmm. And I think the marketing, obviously, you're strong in design. I think marketing is what we would both consider one of our weaknesses and something we want to do better at. It's funny with marketing. I would consider it a weakness from a different perspective. So I, you know, I've sat in marketing meetings all the time about automations and how to track people and things to do. But the actual executing on a personal level is something that I struggle with Mm -hmm. because I feel like in some ways I'm bothering people or people are tired of hearing me talk about this thing. And the reality of it is they probably don't hear it nearly as much as I talk about it. There's the rule of seven where you have to mention something seven times before somebody will actually remember it, where at that point I feel like I'm nagging. Yeah, it's kind of hard to get over that emotional aspect. And to your point about like posting, you see people occasionally reposting stuff on social media, which you don't know is they probably have reposted more than the times you've seen. It's just not likely that you see every post that someone Mm -hmm. puts out. So you have to be outspoken about that. And one of the things that I wanted to do to get some eyes on advent of javascript that i didn't do near as good as i would like is just creating a few youtube videos that referenced it i've actually got a youtube video in my backlog it'll be like a five minute what are closures in javascript which is a hot topic it should be seo friendly and one it'll match up exactly with one of the challenges from advent of javascript because that was exactly what i used to build it so i did a couple of videos that referenced it i wish i would have done more i wish i would have started earlier we've got what would we do differently so i think we can talk Mm -hmm. about that a little bit more and then we tried to share things on twitter but i think we kind of lacked consistency and just like intentionality with making sure we're probably should have been posting about this thing every day for a couple of months or maybe a month leading up Mm -hmm. to it. And especially during the challenge. Well, I think it also goes back to the time piece. I felt like I was just Mm -hmm. trying to get the landing page up and then get the content made that at that point I was like, okay, I'm finally, finally done. Let's go on to the next challenge Mm -hmm. where there's also a ton of value in telling people about it. And I think that, yeah, to your point, that piece got overlooked. It's just a hard thing to do. I tell myself all the time, everything is content. I've talked about that on the mm-hmm. podcast. Like everything I do, everything you do, everything we learn, everything we know is content for someone. But at the end of the day, there's only so many hours and so much mm-hmm. effort you can put in. So I would say that that's definitely an aspect of it as well. We were working really hard to get the challenges out to make sure it was good content and then putting additional time on top of it is just not necessarily an easy thing to do. Mm-hmm. So what would you have done differently? I think probably the number one thing we would agree on would be to have the content done earlier ahead of time. Mm-hmm. And that would influence a couple of things that we've talked about. We wouldn't be uploading new assets and things every day. We could have front loaded that and at least had half of them done at day one or something like that. That would have also, I think, made it easier for us to avoid a little burnout and be able to share more mm-hmm. as we were promoting the course. So I think we met a deadline, which I think was an incredible feat in terms of starting in December. But if we had the ability, whenever we launch the next one, maybe it's in the summer, to have all that content finished 
a couple of weeks beforehand and have some email templates and things ready to go and just have it all kind of on autopilot and tweet about it and share about it while it launches. I think that would be probably the biggest thing that we can do a little differently next time. Mm -hmm. I'd also just love to bring other people in. There's Mm -hmm. plenty of other good content creators out there. I just don't feel like there's necessary that I do all 24 challenges. I'm happy to contribute, but not only would that give more people a voice, but it would also take some of the burden off of us. Yeah. I think you'd mentioned that before and I haven't thought about that in a long time, but it's such a good idea. Mm -hmm. Well, and you're tapping into their audiences selfishly They're Oh, I participate in this challenge. You should go check it out. And at that point it becomes free marketing. Now you did put affiliates and we did have a few people that we registered as affiliates. I don't think any sales came out of that surprisingly, but Gumroad does have a feature in it where you can, it's actually really cool how they have it set up. You send an affiliate a link and then they register and then you just go in and approve them. But that takes Mm -hmm. care of all the tax pieces. It takes care of all their cut that they would get from it. So it was a great feature. I just wish that more people had bought through that, not for us, but to help support the people that Mm -hmm. wanted to help us. And I think that part of my learning there is just to follow up with that too. Like one, make it as easy as possible for people to be an affiliate. Can we give them social media templates? Can Mm -hmm. we give them like specific dates that would be helpful to share a write up for a newsletter, that sort of stuff. And you have to be active for that. Like I reached out Mm -hmm. to a couple of people, but I had no follow up and I didn't make it as easy as possible for them to get involved. But I will say like affiliates can be really useful. I'm an affiliate for the VS Code course from Jesse Hall, Code Stacker on YouTube. And I still get emails occasionally that I get $20 cut from a $40 purchase. I mean, I probably made $1,000 off wow. affiliates for his stuff, which that's is really awesome. nice. And that's just from one video a while ago that I did on YouTube and referenced it. So yeah, I definitely think we can do better with scaling out through affiliates in the future. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I also put on here was setting up systems beforehand. And I know that's like the super boring piece of it. But the first week, because we were trying to move so quickly with content, I felt like my computer, like my desktop and where I had files was just a mess. And it stressed me out because I couldn't find what mm-hmm. I was looking for. And then after that first week, it was like, okay, I've got to come up with a system for where all these files are going to go and clean everything up. And it was like, as soon as I did that, I suddenly had headspace to be able to move forward and really do well over the next few weeks. So I think that it would have been more beneficial if those had been set up beforehand instead of trying to figure that out in the middle. The Mm -hmm. other lesson that I wrote down is, so if you've listened or paid attention to Facebook at all, just the way they have their whole development process and everything is super interesting to me. But one of their mantras is move fast and break things. You've probably seen posters that they've created around that. And I felt like in some ways we were doing that. We were trying to move so fast at the beginning that you mentioned we had issues with emails. So stuff like that was breaking. Man, that feels awful (laughs) when you Mm. are trying to do a system and it's breaking or you're sending out things with typos or the wrong information. It feels terrible. So I've really been putting a lot of thought into how do I really feel about moving fast and breaking things? It's like the concept sounds good and it feels good but in the middle when you're in those mistakes it's really hard and frustrating and at least for me it's easy to beat up on myself about it but i also know like i've been reading some ryan holiday lately and he talks about this it's in a book called the obstacle is the way where he talks about how these obstacles make us stronger and they put limitations on things for us to be able to find the solution and this is probably extending this metaphor longer than it should go but he talks about thomas edison and how he tried 2,000 times to figure out how to get the light bulb. And the way that he saw it wasn't necessarily failures, but it was just, okay, this isn't the right way to do it, so I'm gonna move on. So I've just thought a lot about how comfortable am I with breaking things, or what's my comfortability with failing? And I've thought about that a lot, and it's just been interesting trying to wrestle with that and thinking about the future of content. How do I feel about it, and I'm okay with it, and what can I learn from it? And I think that that's really ultimately where I've landed with that is what can you learn from your failings? Because that's really what agile is about is iterating and learning to embrace that and not let that paralyze me. Yeah, I like that. That's a like a very honest reflection that I think is really useful for people. The idea of agile always gets idealized because it's the newest methodology and it's the one that people are going with. But there are downsides to everything, including agile. And I think that is one of them of mentally that can be a hard thing to take of not Mm -hmm. doing your best work at times. So yeah, I like that. One other thing that I had 
thought that we potentially could do differently, I think we talked about this, is we were doing uh, starter code for people as files inside of the courses. So we'd have to upload that code every day. And we had talked about whether or not we could have a GitHub repository that we could just add people to. And we were charging for the solutions, for the source code and the videos. And I think it would make it logistically a lot easier if the source code was just free. It was a GitHub repository. People could do PRs and help us out with fixes and things and then just charge for the videos themselves. So that's something that I've thought about of just making the source code free and then charging for the video actual solutions on top of that. One of the things that I found that is like so much more work to implement though <laughs> on top of that is GitHub has an education piece to it where you can submit your code to it. And in this case, this would be perfect. Mm. Somebody could submit their challenge and then you actually write a test to see if their mm -hmm. code works. And then if that passes, then it's green or whatever. But from an educational standpoint like this, I think that'd be so cool if we were able to figure out a way that that would work, especially at scale. Yeah, maybe we can. Are we ready to move into uh, grab bag questions? Yeah, let's do it. Sweet. So in our grab bag questions section, we take questions from friends and strangers alike on the internet. And our uh, MVP developer cam on Twitter I said, are there any plans on adding, this is very convenient, a code and browser feature to complete challenges online? So you talked about that a little bit. Is that something you had thought about outside of just the functionality in GitHub that you would like to oh, bring to people? <laughs> I'm not sure I could build a whole feature set. Like This sounds almost like Scrimba, some of the stuff that they have. I think if we were to do it, it would have to be using GitHub's existing features. I'm not sure I would have yeah. the capacity to build out an entire system for stuff like that. Hold on, I got to stop you because this is the first time you've turned down an idea. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, well, I was just going to say, you know, who does it well is SvelteKit and how they have their documentation set up. Mm -hmm. Embedded, or yeah. Svelte and, and SvelteKit, yeah. Yeah, agreed. I am totally blanking on the platform right now and I'm going to kick myself for it. Slip SO, shout out to the Slip, but he has built a course platform in Slip where you can do interactive stuff. And I think a lot of it behind the scenes is Markdown and stuff. I don't think it would quite cover the stuff that we did, but thinking about jschallenges.com, like those sort of things where there's a tangible test that you can have it pass, that's potentially an option. So yeah, I would say it's not super likely just because there's a lot more planning and testing and things that go along with shipping something like that. But yeah, I think it's a great question. The next question is from Lance on Twitter. Does hosting sometimes play a part in your tech stack decision? For instance, with the advent of CSS and JavaScript, do you think maybe I want to use Vercel so I will use Next.js or support Jamstack? Or is it normally you choose the tool before thinking of hosting? I think for the landing pages, were these one of your first series of landing pages created with SvelteKit? Yes, this is the first time that I have built a landing page in SvelteKit and hosted it. So there was a little bit of learning there. It is hosted on Vercel. The only thing is with Vercel, they have a custom adapter that you have to add to the project in order for it to work, but it was super easy to get that set up and going. I wouldn't say that the hosting platform makes that much difference. I mean, it has some effect. It is nice that we are hosting it on Vercel for free, whereas if I had done it in something like WordPress, I'd be paying at least $15 a month based on the systems that I've used in the past. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I would say definitely Jamstack is the way to go mm -hmm. for probably most things that either you or I would build. And I think the cool part of that is you took it as a learning opportunity to get more practice and experience with Svelte. So mm -hmm. that's a way to look at this, too, of like build something regardless of whether it's course material or not. Build something with the tool that you want to learn, because that's the best way to learn. It's just to go and build up. For sure. And the last question is from Mac from Discord asks, who is your course's target audience? Did you design most of these challenges with beginners in mind or seasoned devs? And I want to answer first. I think this is probably a little bit of a misstep. I don't think we nailed who the target audience mm. was. I think the challenges started pretty quickly. Like the first one, I think, was one of the mm. bigger challenges that we had from a JavaScript perspective. And I think a little more of us discussing who is this intended audience, mm. what is the expected experience level coming in, I think would have helped made the onboarding to that a little bit smoother. So this is a great question, Mac. But what are your thoughts, Amy? No, I agree. Because I did see some posts. We asked people... On like day four or five, like, how are you guys doing? Mm -hmm. What do you think about this? How long is it taking? And I saw a few emails where people are like, this is taking me a couple hours to do. Mm -hmm. And just taking the fact that I've done this for years for granted and that I yep. can look at some and be like, oh, yeah, that's easy. I'll just knock it out. Yep. And that's not where everybody was at. I think the other side of it is I'd be curious how many people actually finished all of the challenges 
if it became too much for them to do over time. Because I felt like we got to day 20 and I'm still seeing people post like, hey, I finished my countdown mm. timer, which was day one's challenge, which yeah. was awesome to see that. But it was like, okay, did are you just not getting started? Have you worked at it over time? Yep. I think the challenges could have been a lot easier if we knew that beginners were our target audience. Mm-hmm. Yep. I think we would definitely ramp it up much slower, or at least I would. Mm-hmm. The other side of it was we had no progression of challenges. It wasn't like we're going to learn the skill at right. the beginning and then use it later, or we're going to start super small and simple and then build up. There was no sequencing at all. <laughs> yeah, again, it's a learning experience, but I think we're both really proud of what mm-hmm. we did. Oh yeah, for sure. So thank you to the community for the questions. If you ever have any additional ones, feel free to reach out to us in Discord or on Twitter and we'll wrap up with our picks and plug section. So I'll go ahead and do my pick and plug first. I picked the Mistborn book series before And I was really kind of undecided of, did I love it? Was it just okay? And I've decided that I really, really enjoy it. So the books are extremely long and I just finished the second one. My wife is actually reading it now and she's really enjoying it. So I can officially give my recommendation to people that the Mistborn series is really cool. And then I'm going to plug my YouTube channel. Amy, we haven't talked about this. My YouTube stats recently are like down, down, down. Like everything is down. Revenue, views, click-through rates. But I haven't posted in a while. <laughs> well, that's definitely one of the factors. But I have been posting regularly and they're just like down, down, down. So if you want to make me feel a little bit better about my down numbers, go and check out my YouTube channel. Did they change their logarithm? Don't know about the logarithm or the algorithm. Oh, blast. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, everybody. I do know the difference now. <laughs> I just said the wrong word. Yep, it happens. Oh, man. So yeah, go and check out my YouTube channel. Oh, the other thing is talking about building stuff with a language or a framework that you want to get better at. I have been building a Wordle clone. Wordle mm. super fun. And I will have some content around a Wordle clone and Svelte kit coming out soon. So keep an nice. eye out for that. I still have not yeah. looked at Wordle. I'm still holding out. Do it. It's fun. <laughs> All right, Amy, picks and plugs. So for my pick, I'm going to pick Belega socks. I think that's how you pronounce it. B-O-L-E-G-A. Do you run in those? No, I don't know those. They're running socks. They are amazing for running. They are dry fit. And I know that sounds super crazy for socks. Who cares? But if you're running long distances, you don't want your feet to develop blisters. And so they, at least for me, help prevent blisters. But they're Belega. They feel fantastic. So I try not to run in cotton socks. My plug for the week, I'm going to plug my YouTube channel as well. And that is Self Teach Me. You should go check it out because it has been a while since I've posted, but I have been challenged to hit 10,000 subscribers in this quarter. So I need each and every one of your help to get to that point. (laughs) I would appreciate it. it. That is going to wrap up our episode all about our advent of CSS and JS courses. And the next episode, Amy is going to lead us through design systems, which actually was a question that came through from one of our grab bag questions. So we're excited to have that be influencing the content that we create on the podcast. Make sure if you enjoy the episode to like it, subscribe. I don't know what you do with podcasts, but go out and do it. Leave a comment and review and we will catch you in the next one. In the meantime, that's all we got.